we remember 9-11 and how sports brought the country together. Plus, what should we expect from the Patriots this weekend in Miami? What's going on with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens? A look at college football this past weekend. And what's going on with Xander Bogarts and his future in Boston? All ahead on this episode of Home Field Advantage. Welcome in to another episode of Home Field Advantage. I hope you're enjoying your week or weekend wherever, however, and whenever you may be listening to this podcast across our great country or our great land. My name is Will Island. It is September 11th, 2022, the first full day of the NFL season. And so that's where we'll spend most of the first half of the show. We'll also touch on a little bit of what happened in the college football world yesterday and a Red Sox baseball thought that is on my mind as the MLB season comes to a close. But the first place I want to start today is with the obvious remembrance of the September 11th terrorist attacks that occurred in our country 21 years ago today. As someone who's only in their mid-20s, I did not have a particular uh, remember remembrance of that particular event and where and when uh, it happened and where I was specifically. Um, but I do remember sort of the immediate aftermath and as a kid and how you sort that out um, and what you remember. And one of the things I do remember was this um, sense of patriotism, all right, that occurred in our country um, as a rallying cry in the following weeks and months and really leading into the 2002 uh, summer, sorry, Winter Olympics that uh, the United States hosted in Utah. Um, but sort of this overarching um, patriotic feeling. Um, and then I also remember, you know, as a young person, just seeing it red, white, and blue everywhere. Um, and and one, of the, one of the things that came to my mind as a, at all is that sports were a unifier for the country after 9-11. Obviously, we came together, um, you know, when anybody is attacked, um, you know, they, they, Americans felt like it was an attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. Right? It didn't matter if you lived in, uh, you know, rural Pennsylvania or Washington, D.C. or New York or anywhere where there wasn't an attack that day. You felt like it was an attack on everybody. And as a result, sports quickly became a public vehicle for how people um, healed. Obviously, you remember uh, the NFL didn't play games. The MLB didn't play games for a while. Um, there were situations where people would run onto the field carrying an American flag. Um, I know there was that player on the Mets whose name is escaping me right now, but he was... Um, it was very iconic when he ran onto the field. Uh, I remember Joe Andrusi from the New England Patriots, who had brothers who were in the FDNY. Uh, he ran out onto the field with American flags. Uh, we have uh, 
several instances of big crowds gathering and chanting USA. There was, of course, the George W. Bush uh, first pitch at the World Series, um, which had its own little documentary uh, called Nine Innings from Ground Zero, which I certainly, uh, certainly recommend people watch. And then, um, you know, last but not least, the NFL changed the Super Bowl logo that year to be an American flag um, silhouette on the United States outline. Um, so it was like the American flag filled in the U.S. outline. And of course, the Patriots ended up winning that Super Bowl. Um, and the Patriots, a team wearing red, white, and blue, uh, winning their first Super Bowl as a Cinderella story was, um, of course, the dawn of their dynasty, um, but also a um, an embodiment of the American spirit. So in 2001 in particular, there were a lot of there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of tributes, and then since then, sports has continued to have those, um, you know, whether it be ribbons or uh, flags or anything else or moments of silence. And so, sports continues to this day to be a vehicle for remembering 9/11. Um, and of course, the first responders, police, firefighter, uh, EMS, uh, anybody uh, in law enforcement or health care. Um, or any firefighting, disaster, emergency response, anybody in that field or in those fields, um, we owe them our gratitude for their response that day. And then, of course, you think about some of the heroes uh, like Todd Beamer, who was aboard um, uh, Flight 77, I believe, the one that crashed uh, near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Uh, He grew up in Illinois, I believe, in the 1980s and 90s, was probably a huge Bill, a Bulls and Bears fan, uh, which is a great time to be a Bears fan. Um, you know, how, in the famous picture of him, he's wearing an Ohio State cap, I believe. Um, uh, and and I know last year I gave a, in my 9-11 uh, tribute show, I did a huge um, uh, sort of breakdown of uh, him as an individual, but... Uh, He's certainly somebody uh, who, you know, rallied a group together and they overtook the hijackers and were able to uh, avoid a further um, loss of life on that day. So I would just say that sports has played a special um, a special part in the healing of our country after 9-11. And uh, and I believe it still plays a huge part in the unification of this country. And then on a secondary note. Um, we talk about unlikely heroes all the time in sports and sometimes just remember that the real heroes are the ones out there in uniform, wearing blue, wearing red, um, you know, responding to the scenes, uh, to help treat people. Um, and this has continued really throughout, uh, American culture since 9-11 is that sports continues to be that unifier and we continue to honor those people at sporting events, which I believe is an amazing thing that we have to continue to do with our vets, with our first responders, with our healthcare workers, um, with anybody in that, in those fields. So just, you know, as we remember nine 11 today and we say, we'll never forget. Um, I think sports helps us never forget in, um, by really bringing people together uh, to remember that day. 
And in closing, I think one of the one of the things to this day that still gives me chills is when Patriots owner Robert Kraft, after the Super Bowl in 2002, so it would be February of 2002, uh, was holding up the Lombardi trophy, Lombardi trophy, and he said something about I think it was faith, spirituality, and democracy are the cornerstones of our country, and then he went on to say we are all patriots. And tonight, the Patriots are world champions. And so he went on, he of course went on to say that, I believe, after every single one of the Patriots' six championships. But there's no doubt that that first one in the winter of 2002 was the most special because of uh, all that had gone on in our country. All right, and speaking of the Patriots, I think we'll begin the sports analysis section of our podcast, or excuse me, segment of our podcast, by talking about the Patriots' expectations. So, of course, last week we talked with Cam Kesa and Kyle Diesel about what we expect out of the entire NFL this season. For me, though, I'm just going to reiterate, I think what I talked about maybe two or three weeks ago now was the Patriots season in general. Um, because they do kick off today, perhaps by the time you listen to this podcast, you will have already known uh, the uh, result of the Patriots game. But for me, uh, I, I think the Patriots season hangs in the balance in a game like today. So today they're heading down, uh, or they've, they're already there, they've been there. They'll play the Miami Dolphins on the road. So even when Brady was here, I think the Patriots have only won in Miami twice since the 2013 season, if I remember correctly. I think they lost there in 13, 14, 15. They won there in 16 and then lost there in 17 on Monday Night Football and in 18 at the Miami Miracle. And then they won there in 2019. That was like the Antonio Brown game the only real game that he was on the Patriots. And then in 2020, they lost, and it was sort of not close from the beginning. And then last year, they got their doors blown off. So they really haven't won there since Brady left. And even when Brady was here, they only won twice in the last, like, seven years that he was on the Patriots. So I know that's a lot. I believe the last time they played Miami on the road in week one was 2014, and it was not enjoyable for anybody. Um, so I guess where I'm going with this is I don't expect a Patriots win today, but it is games like this that the Patriots will need to win. Sort of these games that are in the balance, right? You don't know if they're going to win them or lose them. You know, it's not like when they're playing the Lions or the Bears at home, you hope you you win those games. Or when they go on the road and they play the Packers, okay, that's probably a loss, right? But it's these swing games, these games against the Dolphins, right? These game on the road on Thanksgiving against the Vikings, right? Uh, the game on the road against the Arizona Cardinals, right? That's, I mean, some of these games are probably going to be losses. And then it's these other home games like the Ravens in a couple weeks. That's going to be a big test. Or the Bengals late in the season at home on Christmas Eve. So the Patriots are going to have to win some of these games. And the question is, will they win today? I don't believe they will. Um, I think there's too many 
things going against them. Number one, as I've just laid out, playing in Miami has never worked well for this Pats team. Number same, And actually playing in Florida in general. There was actually a September game four years ago in 2018 where they lost to Jacksonville uh, on the road early in the season. So playing in Florida has never benefited the Patriots. There's even been games where they've struggled to beat the Buccaneers before Brady got there down there. Um, but the other, the other factors are just, I don't really know if I believe in this offense figuring itself out this early, right? Like in the past, the Patriots have struggled to find identity on offense early in the season. So I don't think that is something that I can rely on them looking well offensively this early. I also not really convinced that they have the defensive personnel to stop Miami's wide receivers. So there's a, there's just a few factors just in this game's expectations where I don't have huge expectations for them because there's just too many problems. In the season, I think the expectation is this team, despite their hard schedule uh, on either bookend, they have a soft schedule in the middle, so they should be able to rack up wins. I don't expect this team to be awful. I also don't expect them to win more than 10 games. So they're sort of going to be meddling around. And the problem with that is, of course, if you don't make the playoffs, you end up with sort of a middle-of-the-road draft pick. But then if you do make the playoffs, you're going to get probably blown out by somebody like Kansas City or Buffalo in the first round. So... I know anything can happen on any given Sunday in the NFL, but I think Patriots fans just need to temper their expectations a little bit. Look for each game to be compelling. Look for each game to have key points where somebody like Mac Jones or uh, Christian Barmore or any of these young players that are forming this new nucleus of the Patriots, where they ascend and rise to the occasion in key spots. Um, I think that is a that will be a huge factor in the development of the team, not just this year, but in the future. And also when it comes to Jones, he'll he's never going to be your fantasy quarterback. He's never going to be somebody, in my opinion, that goes out and throws 45 touchdowns in a year. He's never going to be somebody that throws 450 yards in a game. Um, and I, when I say never, I, it might happen, you know, one season or one game, one off. But he it's just not that type, type of player, I don't think. He's going to be sort of your quarterback, a lot like Matt Stafford was potentially for most of his career, where he's going to get some, he's going to get his yards, he's going to get his completion percentage, right? It's a lot like Alex Smith, right, or Matt Stafford or Matt Ryan, he might come out and have a one-off year like Matt Ryan did five or six years ago where he wins the MVP or where, you know, he, thro- he throws, you know, a lot of touchdowns. But it's not going to be a consistent year in, year out. Oh, my God, Mac Jones is amazing. He's going to blow everyone out of the water with stats. I hope I'm wrong. I hope someday he is that. But I just don't believe he's ever going to be that. He's never going to be your fantasy quarterback. But he is going to be your reality quarterback. He is going to be somebody who... Gives you a chance to win games, right? Doesn't turn the ball over a lot. It was rare last year 
where he had bad turnovers. He had a couple bad picks in that Saturday night Indianapolis game late in the season. He had, a, I think, one bad pick six against the Cowboys early in the year that he ended up uh, coming back and throwing, I think, his best touchdown of the year to Kendrick Bourne right after that. And then I believe he had a bad pick six in the Miami game at the end of last season down there in Florida. So let's hope that doesn't happen today. But beyond that, I think Mac Jones will protect the football. He'll find the open guy. He'll hit his checkdowns, right? He, he'll he matriculate the ball down the field. They'll, they'll work on stuff. They'll scheme up plays to get guys like Hunter Henry open or Devontae Parker open, right? Jacoby Myers, some of these inside guys. Um, they don't really have somebody that can stretch the field. Maybe Tequan Thornton will end up being that. I have no idea. Um but I, I think he's going to continue to just be good enough for the Patriots to win games. Um, he's going to be a reality quarterback. I think in the future seasons, as he continues to progress, he's going to be somebody that you can expect could bring the Patriots into that 10 to 13 game winning um, window, right? A team that Maybe if the Bills run into some salary cap trouble and can't keep the band together, of course, Josh Allen's going to be a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback um, unless he starts to break down physically in his later years. So you're going to be competing with the Bills, and I think eventually the Patriots can get there. Um, But for now, they're going to be a team that's going to have to scratch and claw, and that's why games like today against the Dolphins are so important. But I guess the bottom line with Jones is this. He's never going to be your fantasy quarterback, but he's always going to be your reality quarterback. And I think as long as Patriots fans have that sort of expectation, right, an expectation of a team that's going to compete, that's going to play hard, that's going to eventually find their identity, that's going to run the ball well, that's going to play good defense, um, they'll find their way into games. Um, this should not be a 5-12 and 12 season, but I also don't think it's going to be a 12-5 and 5 season. You're going to be somewhere in the middle, um, and, and, and you just have to know that with Bill Belichick at the helm, the priority will always be winning football games, first and foremost. Now, speaking of priorities, we head on over to another AFC team, the Baltimore Ravens. And look, that's a team that, if you listened to our... Uh, NFL preview show last week with the other guys, I'm pretty high on the Baltimore Ravens. I think they've grossly underachieved since the 2019 season in which Lamar Jackson broke out and won the NFL MVP. I think they've never truly um, lived up to that hype. However, I believe that eventually all every dog has their day. And I think potentially... In a contract year, this could be Lamar Jackson's day or his year in this context. He was hurt last year. They were 8-3 and three before he got hurt. All right, just think about that. They were 8-3 and three before he got hurt, and they ended up missing the playoffs. They have playmakers on offense now. They um, have Mark Andrews, who I believe is one of the best tight ends in the league. They have... They're running backs back who were injured last year. And I think I think this Lamar Jackson contract situation will be a little bit of a distraction, but I think in many ways it will motivate Lamar Jackson to play well 
and to get his bag of money, right? Adam Schefter's reporting, um, and I'm, this is, I'm reading directly, that although Lamar Jackson and the Ravens have kept details of their contract negotiations private, the star quarterback turned down what sources believe was an offer worth about $250 million. The Ravens also balked at Jackson's wish for a fully guaranteed deal, similar to Deshaun Watson, sources told ESPN prompting the sides to table contract talks until after the season. So they won't be negotiating this year, which is why, as I just said, there could be a little bit of a distraction, but it could also be a motivator for Lamar. The Ravens also balked at Jackson's wish for a fully guaranteed deal, similar to Sean Watson. All right, I already read that. Then Schefter goes on to say that sources told ESPN the Ravens' proposed contract was believed to pay Jackson a higher average annual salary and more guaranteed money than deals signed this summer by Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson and Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray. Wilson signed a $242.5 million deal earlier this month with the Broncos that averaged $48 million annually and included $161 million guarantees. About six weeks after Kyler Murray received a $230.5 million deal that averaged $46 million per year and included $189 guaranteed. But the issue for Jackson wasn't Wilson's deal or Murray's so much as it was Watson's, according to sources. The Browns signed Watson to a fully guaranteed $230 million contract, and Jackson wanted to match it, according to sources. So, Schefter's reporting, basically, and I know that was a lot of monetary jargon, but... ESPN through Schefter's reporting that Jackson wants a fully guaranteed deal. He doesn't want there to be a deal like Russ or Kyler where there's like 75% of it's guaranteed and the rest is dependent on playing or could be lost if he, you know, gets cut or something. Which probably isn't going to happen, but let's just say he gets traded or released or whatever. That is, that is bizarre. Um, so, to me, I don't think anybody, I don't think all four of those guys deserve a fully guaranteed contract. I don't think anybody in the league deserves a fully guaranteed contract. Even somebody like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady could walk away from the game tomorrow. And so it is a horrible business decision to give somebody a guaranteed contract unless you are sure they are going to perform for you. There's probably only one guy in the league right now who I would have given a fully guaranteed contract to, and that's Pat Mahomes at his age. Because I don't, I think even a guy like Josh Allen, who, let's face it, is a superstar, he could follow the Cam Newton route of a couple really great good years early, and then his body starts to break down. Then he gets a shoulder injury because. Then he gets a head injury. Then he gets a hamstring, right? Like somebody who's as mobile as him, even though he's he's big, just like Cam Newton. Injury risk. Injury risk for some a guy, a guy mobile like that. I think eventually Mahomes will follow the Russ route and not run as much. I don't even think Mahomes runs as much now as he did two or three years ago. But some of these other guys, like Watson, of course, is a completely different situation because of his off-the-field uh circus to put it mildly but like Kyler Murray 
That's an that's an injury risk waiting to happen. Lamar. I mean, Lamar's not going to be the same runner when he's 34 years old, I promise you. I mean, Lamar is a uber-talented quarterback right now and deserves money. He deserves a big contract because of his talent. But I just got done telling you he was hurt last year. And in 2020, I believe he ran into some injury problems there too and didn't look like the same guy in the second half of the year. So... And then in 2018, he didn't even really play all year. Flacco played at the beginning, and yes, it was Lamar that brought them into the postseason, but as a rookie, he only played maybe eight regular season games, ten regular season games, and then you know laid an egg in the playoffs. So Lamar Jackson played one full season, albeit an MVP caliber season. But I don't believe a fully guaranteed contract for someone who's played one full NFL season at the at that level is worth it. And I'd say the same thing about Kyler. We had this debate with Diesel a couple months ago. We had this, a similar debate last week. I think Lamar, on paper, deserves a big contract. Should it be a fully guaranteed one? No. I don't even think... Deshaun deserved a fully guaranteed one if you take away the legal issue because even he missed time in 2017 and has missed time in other seasons and has never won a playoff game. So I think this bubble is starting to burst with quarterbacks a little bit. Teams like like the Ravens, a team that I've said will be good this year, that believes in winning, I think a guy like Lamar will win a Super Bowl before a guy like Kyler Murray or Deshaun Watson. I believe that because he's part of an organization that cares about winning. But the Broncos, they went out and paid Russ. Now, Russ has at least been to Super Bowls, right? Like, Russ is at least a veteran quarterback. He didn't get a fully guaranteed deal because of his age and injury history. And I don't even think Russ has the injury history that a guy like um, that a guy like Lamar uh, or um, Deshaun has. I don't think there's ever been maybe a year where Russ has missed more than six games. I I do know there was a couple years ago. I want to say Russ missed time in in the middle of the year with the Seahawks. I can't remember which particular season, um, but. I guess the moral of the story is these guaranteed contracts for these mobile quarterbacks, even a guy like Josh Allen, I don't know how much of his contract is guaranteed. Uh, it's risk. It's a risk. And like they deserve to get paid. But I think teams are starting to realize there's a chance that these guys aren't the same player in eight years that they are right now. Um there's a chance that these guys aren't the same player in four years that they are right now. Four years is a lifetime in the NFL, let alone seven or eight, even for a guy that's 25. So just think about that the next time we start throwing around numbers for quarterbacks, right? It's, it's just the longevity factor might not be there. Um, I know these guys are taking care of these, uh, 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 taking care of their bodies better now than they have ever in the history of the NFL. Um, 
but it, it's it's just not a guarantee anymore um, that the that a quarterback who's as mobile and might be as small as some of these guys, I mean, not Allen, right? Um, it, they're just they're just not necessarily, um, in my opinion, worthy of a fully guaranteed contract because of that risk. They're definitely worthy of big contracts. I'm not saying they don't deserve to get paid. I think Lamar has proven that he does deserve a big extension. Um, but a fully guaranteed one would be a stupid move by the Ravens for a guy that's been injured and could break down physically um, and not be the same dynamic all-game-breaker that he is right now. All right, moving on here just quickly. College football starting to heat up a little bit. Yesterday had some crazy upsets, all right? Like, full-on unbelievable. I can't believe that team lost to that team. So some of these guarantee games, and, and for those of you who don't know, a guarantee is when a small college gets paid by a bigger college to go um, uh, to go play a road game uh, for exposure, and the bigger college, usually the better football program, it's called a guarantee because they believe that that's a guaranteed win. So the lose, you basically the losing team in most cases gets paid to go up there and get their ass kicked, um, just for exposure by playing a big school. Well, sometimes these guarantees backfire because human nature is if you go to University X that has a five star football program. Uh, and you play University Y that's about a third or smaller of the size and has maybe a B-rate football team that plays in the FCS, you might think, yeah, this is going to be an automatic win. That's what human nature is. You start to take that team lightly. Maybe you don't game plan as hard. Maybe you party a little bit too hard on Thursday or Friday night. And then next thing you know, you're looking up at the scoreboard on Saturday afternoon and you've lost. I'm not saying that's the case in every single one of these. I don't want to take anything away from the winning team, who in most cases has extra motivation to go on the road and play in a big environment. Some of these guys haven't played in an environment like that. Um, but anyway, yesterday we had one of them in which Marshall beat Notre Dame 26-21. to Notre Dame was ranked number 8 heading into the week. Appalachian State beat... Number six, Texas A&M, 17-14. And last but not least, Brigham Young beat Baylor, 26-20. Now, that one wasn't exactly a guarantee, in my opinion, because uh, Baylor, uh, sorry, Baylor was only number nine and BYU was number 21. So it wasn't like they one of them was so high and the other one wasn't even ranked. But... You know the other two. That those were those were pretty big upsets for a number six to lose to an unranked team, and then for a number eight to lose to an unranked team. Now, of course, they don't always work out that way. Obviously, the guarantees are called that for a reason. Because like Michigan beat Hawaii fifty six to ten. Now Hawaii is still a Division one program, so it's that's not too big of a uh, guarantee in my opinion. Um, but like Ole Miss beat Central Arkansas fifty nine to three. Right, I mean, not close at all. I believe it was. I can't remember who, but someone beat somebody else seventy-three to seven. Oh, it was Utah beat Southern Utah. Now that's an example of a guarantee. 
or NC State beating Charleston Southern 55-3. to So, they do happen, right? It is something that has credence for a reason. But just as we say, any given Sunday in the NFL, it's really any given Saturday in college football because, right, Marshall and Appalachian State, you know, two mid-Atlantic schools going up against Notre Dame and, um, and Texas A&M, who, let's face it, are you know, top-tier football programs um, based on people's expectations with top-tier coaches, right? Jimbo and and uh, Jim Harbaugh, I mean, those guys are top-tier fo- uh, college football coaches, right? I mean, that that's an upset. Sorry, not Michigan. Excuse me, Notre Dame. I don't know why I said Michigan. I don't know who the coach at Notre Dame is anymore. I, I know Brian Kelly left, so scratch that. But still, Notre Dame... Actually, more of a big-time football program than Michigan, in my opinion, these days because they've had more recent success. I mean, I know Michigan was in the playoff last year, but Notre Dame's been there a few times since they implemented that um, that structure. So to have Notre Dame and A&M fall to, uh, to lesser unranked schools is uh, just, just, more, just more, um, more proof, I guess, that that uh, it's really any given Saturday in college football. And look, Texas almost beat Alabama. And let's not let's not pretend Texas is a you know tin pot uh, football program. But uh, you know to almost beat Alabama in the fashion that they did and the controversy that they did. Um, you know Alabama's walking away from Austin, and they gotta be a little uh, they gotta be a little scared that. Um, Maybe, just maybe, it isn't um, exactly what they thought. It wasn't going to be the cakewalk, but they thought. All right, so speaking of some guarantees, I don't think it's a guarantee that Xander Bogarts returns to the Red Sox next year. Um, I'd like him to. I want him to be a member of this team for a long time. But it's not a guarantee. But Dennis Eckersley said something over the weekend, and of course, Dennis Eckersley being an amazing Hall of Fame pitcher in his career and a pretty good broadcaster, I'd say. Um, He has a good barometer for the game. And he said multiple times that Xander Bogarts is our Derek Jeter. And what he means by that is he's the Red Sox Derek Jeter. He is the face of the franchise, someone that you build around that spans multiple generations, right? Because Jeter won a World Series when he was the young guy. He was playing with Bernie Williams and Hideki Matsui and Jorge Posada and Andy Pettit and all those guys. And then he won a World Series in 2009 when he was still playing with a lot of those guys. But he had Alex Rodriguez on the team and they had... um, some other players who I think they had brought in, like Mark Teixeira and CC Sabathia, like sort of a new, rebuilt, retooled Yankees powerhouse. Xander Bogarts has already done a little bit of that as well. 2013, he wins. He's part of the band of bearded brothers, but he's the young guy, the guy that can't even drink in the clubhouse yet, right? The guy that's uh, a rookie, not even a rookie, because he didn't even play that much in the regular season. He's coming in, he's pinch hitting, he's uh, playing a little bit of third base, a little bit of shortstop, and uh, he's not even wearing a real number. 
All right, fast forward five years, he's got number two. He's modeling himself after Derek Jeter. He's playing with uh, Raphael Devers and uh, Mookie Betts, and he's playing alongside J.D. Martinez and that team and those those veterans on that team in 2018, like David Price and Chris Sale and Craig Kimbrell and guys who have a Hall of Fame case of their own to make. And... Yet, here we are again, four years later, and Xander is playing alongside a new group, right? You still have Devers there, but you've got like Alex Verdugo, and you've got Tristan Kasha's coming up, and you have people looking toward guys like um, Marcelo Meyer in the future who might be a factor, or... um, any Jaron Duran, if you still believe in him, or any of these other position players, as well as these pitcher, these young pitchers they have, like Seabold and Crawford and Bayo and Winkowski. And you're sort of seeing this new Red Sox core that's trying to be created under Heim Bloom. Um, so he wins a championship with Ben Charrington, and this, you know, motley crew of veterans. He wins a championship in 2018 with some stars that were brought in by... Dave Dombrowski, and who knows, in the future, he could win a championship with a new era of Red Sox put together, who knows, by Hein Bloom. We'll see, knock on wood. But I guess the point is, despite what everyone likes to say about Xander Bogarts, that he's a subpar defender, and he has uh, not the greatest power numbers that he had maybe in that 2018 season. He's still on track to win the AL batting title. His biggest competition will, of course, come from, I believe... Oh, what is his name? I, I think it's... I know he plays for the... He plays for the... Um, oh, man, the Indians... No, the Twins. Yeah, he plays for the Twins. It's Luisa Reyes from the Twins. So Luisa Reyes is batting 316. All right, pretty good. Bogarts is batting 318. So those two are neck and neck. All right, but he still leads all shortstops in OPS, Bogarts does, with 859. So he has the best OPS at his position in the American League. He clearly has the best average at his position in the American League because Reyes is a first baseman. And Correa is next, and he's 38 points lower than Bogarts. All right, insane. Um, He leads shortstops in OBP by about 30 points. He leads all American League shortstops in um, hits, I believe, as well, if I remember correctly. Um, He's one ahead of Bo Bichette from the Blue Jays. So in his position in the American League, he's among the best this year. And then if you say, okay, well, well, what about all positions? Um, okay, well, all positions, he's second in hits. Only Abreu from the White Sox has more than him. And then in terms of on base, he's fourth in the league. Only Jordan Alvarez, Yandy Diaz, and Aaron Judge have a better on base than uh, Xander Bogarts. And in slugging, he is still top 15 despite having a down season with home runs with only 13. So he's still a top 15 player in the league in, with, in slugging in a bad year. All right, and then you're, okay, then you're like, okay, well, Will, those are old stats. What about 
real like like war and the ones that matter quote unquote all right well in war there's only three players in the entire uh american league that aren't pitchers so you take out dylan sees because he's a pitcher um that are better than uh bogarts in war and it's aaron judge shohei otani and uh andres jimenez from the indians so he's fourth in the al among position players in war and to be fair with shohei otani of course war um, is a little uh, misleading because of, uh, you know, he's a pitcher as well. Um, so, a little different. But Bogarts is still among the best players in the American League at its position. I used to be laughed at when I said he was better than Carlos Correa, better than Francisco Lindor back in the day. And guess what? That remains to still be true to this day. People used to say, oh my God, he's a horrible defensive shortstop. Really? He's a horrible defensive shortstop? Are you sure about that? Because defensively speaking, I think he's gotten better. I think his errors are way less frequent than they used to be. And uh, and, and to be frank, I, 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 think that, I think that that's just sort of a... Um, that's sort of a straw man that people use to argue that they don't want to bring him back. Like, oh, well, he's not going to be the same defensively in a few years. All right. Guess what? We were just talking about Derek Jeter. Was Derek Jeter still the same athletic player in his later years? No. But some guys, stats aside, and they transcend that, right? Bogarts is a winner. He is a leader. He speaks five languages, for crying out loud. So Eckersley's assessment that Bogarts is our Jeter couldn't be more correct. He is, in many ways, the face of this franchise. Maybe in five years, he won't be the same player because he'll be 35 years old. Guess what? That happens to everybody. All right? Maybe eventually he'll end up a third baseman or a designated hitter. He might not like that because he might always want to play shortstop. We won't. We won't know. But now he's got Trevor Story up the keystone with him, right? He's got Devers to his right at third base. He's got Cassius at first base. If you can lock up Devers and Bogarts, which the Red Sox definitely have the money to do, don't let them tell you they don't have the money to do that. John Henry had enough money to buy the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Red Sox have enough money to re-sign both of those guys. Beer is $15, for crying out loud. The Red Sox have that money. Don't let them tell you they don't. The Red Sox lock up Bogart's endeavors. They have, in my opinion, a World Series caliber infield, and that's without us even really knowing if Cautious will pan out. Because worst case scenario is they have Hosmer there next year. Or somebody else. Like, they haven't had a real first baseman in a few years. Now you've got Cautious. Then in the outfield, they got some work to do out there, but I think the Red Sox have the they have the ability to bring him back, make Bogarts the leader of this team, and I'm just going to say this because I think most Red Sox fans would agree, Xander might be the closest thing the Red Sox have had 
to a captain in a long time since Veritek left. I truly believe that if he comes back, put a C on his jersey. I know you don't have to do it. Put it on like you did with Jason Veritek. Put it on. He's the shortstop. He's the leader of the infield. He's the leader of the team. He has been. I believe now he's the longest tenured Red Sox after Christian Vasquez left. Um, perhaps Matt Barnes has been on the 40-man lost roster longer. I don't know for sure. Um, but I'm quite certain that he's the longest tenured Red Sox. And if you want, if you want this team to be a contender in the future, um, and you're rebuilding this team, you need somebody to build it around. You can't just assemble a team out of thin air. Even the 2013 Red Sox were, again, as I said a few minutes ago, a motley crew of veterans. They were still built around David Ortiz and Dustin Pedroia. You know, even though some of these other teams that have won the World Series have been recently have been sort of a collection of free agents or acquisitions, the Atlanta Braves last year, that was Freddie Freeman's team. You know, the, the Nationals in... Uh, 2000, uh, 2019, that was a team that was sort of assembled on the fly. We looked around at that team, and you had Zimmerman there. He'd been there forever, right? You had had um, Strasburg there had been there for a while, as long as he had been drafted. Um, Harper had left, um, but they had, they had players there, right? The 2017 Astros, right? Say what you want about cheating. They had built a nucleus. They had built that team around guys like Altuve and Correa and um, Bregman. You have to build around somebody. Those Yankee teams, even the ones that I mentioned, the new, the newer version, the last Yankee team to win a World Series, they brought in guys like Sabathia and, um, and Teixeira, but that was still Jeter and A-Rod were there. So I think you have that opportunity with the Red Sox, with Bogarts, with Devers, you know, they let Mookie Betts leave for a reason, right? They let um, ben, they let Benintendi go. They lost some of that core. They let Vasquez go. So they're the core now. And uh, I think Eckersley couldn't be more right when he says that Bogarts is our Jeter. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Home Field Advantage. I hope you enjoyed the program. We'll see what happens today with the Patriots. If you're listening later in the week, you already know the results, so hopefully uh, it's a good one. And if not, um, then I, I guess was right, but I don't really want to be right, so hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully they play well today and you guys can uh, tell me how wrong I was for predicting a loss down there in Miami. See what happens with Lamar Jackson and Sandra Bogarts and their future with their respective teams and if there are any more upsets next week in college football. Um, I also, just again, remembering 9-11 and how sports can bring people together, I still believe in that power uh, of unification that can happen with sports. And um, I, I truly hope that we have... Um, a, a, a brighter future um, as a country together um, through that. Um, so we'll be back in a couple weeks with a new episode. No episode next week um, on this uh, program because I won't be around to record, but I hope you enjoy your week. Until then, we'll be back in a couple weeks, in which case we'll break all of this down and more again. 
Um, so give us a five-star review if you want to. Please also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on our socials at HomeFieldPod. But until next time, you've been listening to Home Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to also check out our other shows um, from the Sportland USA Network, including Filling Up with Kyle Diesel, our brand new program. Home Field Advantage, The Morning Advantage, Diego Daily News, and Filling Up are presented by Sportland USA, and the opinions shared on them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.